Well, God did something really interesting this morning for me. I, um, I'm, I'm exhausted right now. Um, uh, we've had a, quite, a, quite a difficult week. Um, this, the past two days we spent uh, uh, doing our leadership weekend, training weekend. And all week I was spending time uh, getting prepared for that, preparing teachings, just the logistics of it all. And uh, there was just a lot of work and energy that went into that. At the same time, Lori, unfortunately, was sick all week, very, very sick. And so, um, you know, she, she was only able to do what she was able to do. And uh, we went through the whole weekend. And, and, and I'm sitting there during the weekend. I'm thinking, well, Sunday's on its way here, <laughs> right? Sunday is, uh, is coming, and we've, I don't know what, I don't know what I'm going to do, and, and I have to admit to you, and I, I like to be very transparent, and I hope you don't think I'm like overly spiritual all the time, but uh, I was literally sitting here about 8 o'clock last night thinking, tomorrow morning I'm supposed to teach, and I've got nothing to teach, nothing last night, and, and I said, well, I could in my exhaustion, go and try to scramble for something and come up with something tonight, or I could go to bed. I chose the latter, I went to bed. And um, I was like, I'm just too tired. And I was like, oh, Lord, I, just, I trust you, I trust you. So I got up this morning, maybe about 6.30, 7 o'clock, and uh, came down and I sat in the chair and thinking, man, what? what are we doing this morning, Lord? <laughs> you know, what are we going to do? And I was like, well, when you don't know what to do, you, you should fall back on your disciplines, spiritual disciplines. What are the spiritual disciplines? Well, we could talk, that's, that's a teaching all of itself, but you pray, you open your Bible and you begin to read. And that's what I did. I opened my Bible and I began to read where I left off. Now, we have a reading plan at, at Way of Life that we post, and it's a simple New Testament chapter and an Old Testament chapter every day, and we go through the Old and New Testament. It's very simple. And I was a day behind in my reading plan uh, because of the weekend. And so uh, I, I was, we were supposed to be today on chapter 16, but I was on chapter 15 because I was a day behind in the plan. And I looked down, I started to read, and I got from verse 1 to verse 8 in my reading and all of a sudden the Lord said you're not done talking about faith so this is part three of increase my faith which I had no intention in doing but as I read this the Lord just unfolded and downloaded and it was it was easy isn't that beautiful it was just easy it wasn't hard it's not hard to receive from God. It, it's, we make it hard because we typically can't receive because our hands are so full of other things that we have to lay down first. But when you come to the Lord empty-handed, He can fill your hands pretty easily, can't He? So I want to turn there. Um, you can turn your Bibles to, to John chapter 15. And as you're doing that, just as by way of, of, of a quick reminder... Uh, of what we've covered in the, our first two um, installments, I, I'll say, of, in, of the series Increase Our Faith. We, 
in the first week, uh, we talked about Luke 17, 5 and 6, and that's been our, our key text throughout this series. The, the disciples came to Jesus and said, increase our faith, which was a great request. It was a wonderful thing. But they, the problem was is that the disciples didn't understand what faith really meant, what it really was. And so Jesus responds and he says, if you simply have the faith of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, get up and be planted in the sea and it will obey you. Another instance he talked when he was talking about faith, he talked about you can speak to this mountain, be thou removed or cast yourself into the sea and it will do it. It will obey you. And so he, what he does is he corrects this idea that we have that if I need have to experience something big and supernatural and massive in our lives, then I need big faith. And if I just need a little thing in my life, I need at least a little faith. And he says, no, it has nothing to do. It's not, we don't match the problem that you need on this gradient scale of faith. It doesn't work like that. But then he goes on and he talks about if you're a servant, if you have a servant and he's out working in the field all day, when the servant comes in, you don't say, say to him as the master, you don't say to him, well, sit down, let me serve you dinner. No, you say, no, now it's time for you to have the dinner, make dinner. When I'm finished eating, then you can eat. And at the end of the day, we say we are worthless, unworthy servants, just simply doing what the master's told us to do. And he said all this in the context of faith. And with that, he began to, to, to put for us, um, put forward to us this idea that our faith is linked to this relationship between the master and the servant. Okay, this master, we are, our faith increases as we are faithful to the master in what he desires for us to do. And we, we don't, God doesn't reward faith just, you know, because we're, we're, you know, he owes us something because we're doing what he told us to do. He doesn't have to thank us. Uh, but, but thanks be to God, he's a good master. And when, he does, when we do are faithful to him, he blesses us with more. And he, he, he does shower blessings on us, but we're not owed that. So then last week in our part two of, of increasing our faith, we talked about the parable of the talents, right? And so the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30 Again, we focus on this master-servant relationship and the servants were expected to take what the master gave them and multiply it and grow it. That was the expectation. And there were two good, good and faithful servants that were given more responsibility and greater tasks because they showed faithful to do the things that the Lord commanded them to do. But then there was one who did nothing. He took what the Lord gave him and he buried it. And he waited for, the, for him to return and, said, and, just, and he gave it back to him. And the Lord said, you wicked and lazy servant. And he cast him out into outer darkness. So the, faith, the word faithful, so when, when, he, when he rewarded the good servants, he used the word, the Greek word, Pistos, right, which translates pistos, which is uh, the faith, when he says increase our faith, and when Jesus says if you have faith in the mustard seed, that Greek word pistos, right, well, the same word is used when he says good and faithful servant, it's the same word. 
You're a faithful servant. You're a faith servant. All right? Our faith and the increasing of our faith is tied to the faithfulness of your serving the master. It's actually kind of simple. But we think of it as, well, if I just read my Bible more and I pray more and I do these things, then I earn God to increase my faith. It's not actually like that. It's about obedience to the master. Your faith increases to your level of obedience to the master. And he says to those good and faithful servants, he said, because you were faithful in a little thing, and we know from the study, it wasn't a little thing, it was a lot of money. I'm going to make you faithful over, I'm going to, I'm going to give you charge over greater things. If, you're faith, if you want your faith, you want to do great things for God, you've got to do the little things first, faithfully. If you want to be blessed with this, right? So this is, this is what God, well, I, this is what I believe Jesus was bringing to. And so I thought, well, what, we were done. That's it, Lord, right? No, it's never it. So as I woke up this morning and I read this, um, opened up to what was just in my reading plan of John 15, 1 through 8. Let's read it together real quickly. It says this, verse 1, I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. How many of you know where, where we're going with this, right? I mean, this is a, this is a pretty, pretty, um, uh, it's a pretty well-known passage of Scripture, abiding in the vine. We talk about this a lot, this, this concept of abiding. But we're going to see what this has to do with the increasing of our faith. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener, the vine dresser, a lot of uh, translations say. Um, every branch that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean, but, of, but because of, excuse me, verse 3, you are already clean because the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. All right, let's unpack this now. What in the world does this have to do with increasing our faith? Everything. Everything. So let's, let's go back to verse 1. And I'm going to give us a little bit of con context. is important. First of all, who was Jesus speaking to here? He was speaking these words to his disciples, the 11, not the 12. This, these words were spoken after, before Gethsemane, but after uh, their the Last Supper, what we know is the Last Supper, and Judas has left the group because Jesus went to him and says, whatever you're going to do, do quickly. He gets up and he leaves. He's talking to the 11 
the 11 apostles. So these are some, again, of the final words said to the apostles before his, his arrest, crucifixion, resurrection. Verse 1 says, I'm the true vine. Speaking to these apostles, they would have known this because he was speaking to Hebrews here. He was Israelites, right? The Old Testament uses this image of a vine a lot. But what, he, what it does in the, in the Old Testament context is it speaks of the vine of being Israel. Okay, so there's uh, a lot of scriptures that talk about Israel being a vine and God being the vine dresser, the one who takes care of Israel, all right? So um, the disciples would have understood this concept. They would have understood that, that um, this, this relationship between a vine and God. But Jesus is coming here and he's introducing this, different, this new idea. He's saying that I am the vine. In fact, I am the true vine. He's taking them out of this idea of um, their ethnicity, their, their um, um, identity in their culture as being a race. And he's, he's moving them into this concept that they are now part of a spiritual race, right? A spiritual people. And we know that it's not, Jesus is not limited to the Jews. He came from the Jews, right? But we as Gentiles, if we are Gentiles, non-Jews, we're grafted into the vine, right? And Paul talks a lot about this grafting in. So he took the model in which he stood up as the chosen people, the Israelites being this vine, out of this vine comes the Messiah. But now the Messiah becomes the vine. It's no longer the, the Jews, but now it's this Jesus. And that we have to be in him to be pruned and cared for by God the Father. Okay? So this is a heavy thing that he's laying on these Jews. And he says, I am the true vine of my Father. My Father. Not simply God, but the Father. Because Jesus is, he is God. He's part of the the triune, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But specifically now, we see in Jesus, we have the Father as the gardener. We have, and we can kind of use your imagination, of course, Jesus being divine and the Spirit being all, being in us, right, is sort of the sap. I like to think of the sap of the vine. You know, the Spirit is what, is, is what moves the nutrients. Uh, of, the, of the presence of everything that, that Jesus provides for us is the Spirit moving within us and connecting us to Him in a very real way, okay? And so this is an interesting picture that we can kind of, I think we can all have a, an easy time maybe uh, thinking about how the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit working together in us and through us, Amen. But then it goes on and he says this thing, every branch, every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he, God the Father, removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so it will produce more fruit. 
But the question that I have for us today is this. What's fruit? He doesn't actually say here exactly what the fruit is. But have we stopped to think about this concept of fruitfulness? What is fruitfulness? All right, so I'm looking at your eyes here, the ones that are in the room, and the ones of you guys that know your Bibles pretty well, you're thinking, well, Galatians 5.22, right? The fruit of the Spirit. Everybody's thinking the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? So what does that say? Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are these good? Wonderful. Wonderful fruit. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It goes on. It says the law is not against such things. Certainly, this would be part of fruitfulness, right? When Jesus talks about that you will be, that he's looking for fruitfulness on, within all of the branches that abide in him, that are connected to him, Galatians 22 certainly fits the, fits the bill, and I wouldn't argue that at all. But is it only that? Is it only that? One thing I will call out about that is one of the words used in there in the fruits of the Holy Spirit is faithfulness. Pistos, good and faithful servant, right? Increase our faith. Faithfulness is certainly in there. But is that only the fruitfulness he's talking about? I, I don't think so. I was meditating on this a little bit. Again, I got, just sort of got a download from the Lord, and it came to me. I never thought about it like this before, but if we compare this, what he's talking about, to the parable of the talents, plus the parable of the four soils, right, where we scatter seed, plus the Great Commission, and so on and so on, fruitfulness is, is about taking what God gives you and making more of it. We're talking about reproduction, multiplication. Fruitfulness, what was the words that, he, that God spoke to Adam and Eve after he created Eve, took the rib from Adam, made it for him for it. What did he say? Be fruitful and multiply. Multiplication is the product of fruitfulness. Okay. It's what we receive reproduced, multiplied out. A male and a female creates another male or female. It made me think of Luke 6, 43 through 45. A good tree, Jesus was saying this, a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. What a tree produces, you can tell what kind of tree it is by the fruit, right? So he goes on, he says, figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes, right? Or grapes aren't picked from brumble bush. A good person produces out of the goodness stored up in his heart, good. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. 
for his mouth speaks from the overflow of his heart. So what is this fruit, right? What is the fruit, the, fruit, the good fruit that we're talking about? It's what's supplied, it's, it's what Jesus supplied to you. It's what he's offered to you. It's what he's deposited into you. It's the resources of Jesus and who he is. What does he give us? He gives us salvation. He gives us deliverance. He gives us healing, right? He has made you a disciple and he uh, has given us and you the responsibility of also making disciples of others. The Great Commission is to go therefore into the world and what? Make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In another, in another gospel, it talks about this, when he talks about the Great Commission, it says, these are the signs that will follow them who believe. They will lay their hands on the sick and they'll be healed. They'll cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. What is this stuff? This is the stuff that comes from Jesus. This is the stuff that comes from the vine. And when you're plugged into the vine, this is what you produce. You, the, the, the branch does not produce anything different than what the vine provides for it. It's reproduction. You see? And so do you see the danger when we mix other things with Jesus? When we introduce the bramble bush and we introduce these other four, the thorn bushels, it starts to produce a sick fruit or no fruit at all. We begin to mix these other things into it, other philosophies, other world religions, other deceptions of this world, this deceitfulness of man, the deceitfulness of the world. We begin to mix that fruit in and it corrupts because Jesus, fruitfulness is only what is produced by what Jesus gives you. He's the vine. He supplies it to you. And if we're getting a supply from anywhere else, That's how we separate ourselves from the vine. We begin to graft ourselves into other things, other philosophies, other religious theories, deceptions, doctrines of demons as the Bible talks about. Things that look Christian, but they're not. The things that have come into the church, the the deceptions that have come into the church that have corrupted the message of the gospel and we buy into these things, we're receiving a, a, a little bit of truth with poison mixed into it. And it begins to separate us and pull us off the vine. We start looking. We don't even know it sometimes. Sometimes we knowingly go to other things. Sometimes we unknowingly go to other things. That's why we need to know the word of God. That's why we need to be pruned because the Father prunes us, right? Matthew 10, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you received, freely give. That's the model that Jesus, this is what, that's what he spoke to the disciples when he sent them out. He said, freely give what you have received. Give it, right? The idea is they weren't going out just to, to speak of their own understandings and philosophies of the world and their own experiences. No, they were going out to speak and to do what Jesus speaks and does. And this is exactly what Jesus modeled for us. He goes, I don't do anything on my own accord. 
I only do what I see the Father doing and I only speak what I, what I hear the Father saying. Go where he tells me. Jesus modeled for us perfectly to only multiply and to produce the fruit that was provided to him by the Father through what? The Holy Spirit. That's why the inauguration of his ministry started with baptism and the Holy Spirit fell down. He surrendered his rights, his deity, if you will, to go and to make decisions on his own. No, he fully submitted himself to the Father. And he relied on the Holy Spirit the same way that you and I have to rely on him. He modeled it for us perfectly. You can't say, well, Jesus had something different that we had. Because that's why his humanity was so vitally important. He was perfect. He was God. But he was man. And he set aside, the Bible says, his divinity. And he walked in weakness of flesh with us, but perfectly under the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a beautiful thing? He knows us. He knows. He, if Jesus... It sounds crazy, but it's biblically true. If Jesus did it, we can do it. Everything that he did, everything. He says, all these things that I have done, you will do them and even what? Greater. Well, gee, I've never raised the dead, but that doesn't mean that you can't. I've never cast out a demon. That doesn't mean that you can't. Well, I've never done these things. It doesn't mean that you can't. Jesus did it, and he says, all of these things you will do even greater. Why? Because Jesus modeled for us the ability to stay connected to the source and reproduce what's been given. But see, here's the thing. You're talking about supernatural things, Michael. These are, yes, they're supernatural. Only God can do them. The fruit that he is asking you or commanding you to be fruitful in has to come from him. Because if you can do it in your own ability, your own strength, then you don't need the vine. He tells us to do the, he adds his super to our natural. That's the point. He takes these imperfect vessels and he deposits his power, the power that can change the laws of physics and bend the laws of biology if necessary to make us, to cause us to do the things that he has done. Amen. That's fruitfulness. It's reproducing what you have received, what is available within the vine. That is what he's trying to do for us. If you are in him, because he says this, if everyone is in him, right? If you are in him, you are expected to reproduce what he has done in you. Expected. It's the expectation, right? That's what we learned from the parable of the talents. When he gave the five to the one, the two to the one, and the one to the one, the expectation was, I have given you material. In that case, and finances. I'm expecting you to increase finances. He wasn't looking for them to increase other things. He was expected, they were expected to increase and multiply what they were given. And when he, when he got, to the three, got to the one that had the five, well done, good and faithful. Got to the two, well done, good and faithful. Got to the one, wicked and lazy. Laziness, and I've said this last week, laziness 
Laziness in the gospel, laziness in the word, laziness in prayer, laziness in caring for the, the things that are going on in this world. Laziness, let somebody else do it. Well, I'm not gifted. Ah, yeah, yeah. Let somebody else will do it. And we go in and we focus on our selfish desires for the world. As I always say, right? Little pink houses, white picket fence, and 2.5 children. We want the American dream. And then I'll be happy in my life. God, it's not that those things are bad. He'll give those, th those things to you along the way, but maybe, maybe you won't. But the idea is that's not why you're here. That's not why you're living. That's not why you're in the body of Christ. The, the, the ungodly go after those things, the Bible says. They, they seek riches. They seek those things, right? But you're different. You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all those things will be added to you. He'll take care of them. But it's seeking the kingdom of God. What is seeking the kingdom of God? I want to be fruitful in what God provides. I want to be fruitful in what he has commanded me to do. I want to take what he has given me and multiply it. Increase it. That's the command. And that's what he's saying here to these guys. If you are in him, you are expected to produce what he has done in you. Right? But he also says then, if you don't reproduce, you're removed. There's a penalty. There's a judgment. Now, we can get really deep. And what do you, what do you mean about, are they really in Christ? Are you really not? I'm not going to go into that. My, you know, don't get into some, like, try to find some theological loophole here. And, and then build a whole denomination based on predestination or free will or blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff that people, that people fight over stupidly. Missing the point. You're missing the point. Don't get into, into all those kinds of conversations. Be about the Father's business and he'll take care of all of that stuff. Be about making disciples and don't worry about if they're predestined or not. Just make disciples, okay? <laughs> right. Don't worry about can you lose your salvation or not. Just get so close to Jesus that it doesn't matter. Right? If you have faith, if you have faith, the fruit is the result. James chapter 2, starting at verse 14. James chapter 2. James, this is, it's understood that the book of James was the brother, the half-brother of Jesus. It says this, <clears throat> What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Now let's not lose sight of this, the theme of this teaching. The theme is, Jesus, increase our faith. Jesus, increase our faith. And James now starts talking about this idea of faith and works. But let's capture the principle here of what he's trying to say. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Now let's talk, what is works? Works is doing stuff, producing something, being busy about the Father's business, okay? Can such faith save him? Can such faith 
save him. All right, I'm going to read this one more time. I want you to capture it. What good is it, my brothers, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can that kind of faith, having faith but not doing works, is that saving faith? Is that abiding faith? Is that faith plugged into the vine? That's what he's, that's what he's asking here. If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, so we're talking about a practical thing. If you know somebody that's hungry, they don't have money for food, they don't have money for, for clothing, and you know about it. And one of you, verse 16, and one of you says to him, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed. But you don't give them what the body needs. What good is it? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about, Somebody posts an issue on Facebook and they're going through something and people are like, thoughts and prayers, <laughs> thoughts and prayers. Be blessed in this challenging time, right? You get the idea, like, and there's, that's been a thing on Facebook, like, what does that mean? No. Are you doing something to help this person? And I'm not saying that everything you see on Facebook, you've got to run to action, right? Because you'll burn yourself out, you, need, you know, you got right? But you get the idea is like, it's not, it's not just enough. What he's saying here is not just to, is enough to say, I wish you well. I'm sorry about your circumstances, right? Have faith, brother. Have faith, sister. No, he said, put it to action. Do something, right? But if you don't actually do something, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works... It's dead. But some will say to you, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. What he's saying here is that it's not a matter of having faith or works. What he's saying here is if you have true faith, the fruit will be their works. There will be fruit because of your faith. Okay? I don't get faith. I don't earn my way. I don't earn my way into God's favor to get faith. Do you see that? Doesn't that go back to what Jesus was trying to set right with the disciples and they said, increase my faith. And he says, the whole master servant thing. He says, look, you work at the end of the day. He doesn't have to thank you. Like you don't have to, the servant doesn't have to be thanked for doing what, they, they don't earn the master's favor. They don't earn it. They're given it sometimes, but they're not, it's not an earning thing. So you can't earn your way into faith. But when you have faith, it produces, it moves, it, 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 it compels you to work. And the fruit is the product of the works. Did you follow me on that? Mm -hmm. Later on, a little bit down in verse 20, he says, senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is dead? Faith without works is useless. He's like, you're senseless here. You, you can't, it's not enough for you to sit in church. It's not enough for you to do the religious thing and say, look, I'm doing what is required of me, so I'm okay. 
No. What he's saying is there should be fruit. If you so have faith, what are you doing to multiply what God has given you and produce more for him? It's a requirement. See, we want faith. We want our faith to increase because we want to use our faith to fulfill our selfish desires or the discomfort of life. I'm really hoping for this new job. I just interviewed for this new job. I really want, I really want this. I am going to have faith to believe that God will give me this job. Well, that sounds okay, right? But the question is, does God want you to have the job? Is the job fitting into the purpose and the plans that God has commanded over your life? Because if the answer is no and says, I don't want you to have that job. I don't want you to make, I want you to go over here. This is, I'm calling you to the mission field or I'm calling you to this. I'm calling you to do something else, not to go and keep making more money. I'm just using this as an example, right? It could be an infinite number of possibilities. But if that job is out of his will, he's going to say no. I don't care what level of faith you think you have. It's outside of the master's plan, so he's going to not fulfill your request. It's all connected to the master. Faithfulness to the master and what he's calling us to do. If you don't have fruit as a result of your works, doing what he commands, you actually don't have faith. Right? You're a little faith. Refer back to the first teaching on this, if you, know, if you don't know what I mean by that. You're a little faith. If you have fruit, if you are productive, he will refine you and make you even more productive. That's exactly what he did with a faithful servant. What he did, because you're faithful with little, I'm going to give you more. Not for your benefit, but for mine. You're a faithful servant, so I'm going to entrust you with more. Right? This is what he's doing. Remember, at the end of that parable, he says, to the one who has, more will be given to him. But the one who doesn't have, the one that doesn't do anything with what they've been given, that person, what he even has, will be given to the one who has more. It'll be taken from him. When we don't produce what we give him, it's like, it's, think of it this way. What do you call a body of water that has an inlet but no outlet? A swamp. Even a lake has an outlet. Outlet has an overflow. And that's why typically lakes, as long as they have a good enough water coming in, enough water going out, they don't stink. But a swamp always smells, doesn't it? It has water. The water that comes into the swamp very frequently is pure and clean and beautiful, right? That beautiful spring water. But it goes into this place and it doesn't, it's not being sent out to produce and to water elsewhere. So it stays in this, this, this stagnant location and bacteria begins to grow in it. And it smells. I mean, the bullfrogs might like it, but not much else does, right? It's bad fruit. It's no fruit. No fruit is bad fruit. I want to quickly wrap up here. There's a lot more in here and there's a lot more we can say, but I, I feel like that's, that's the main thing that we need to, to, to get a hold of in this idea of faith is that there is an expectation for fruitfulness. 
Verse three says, you are already clean because, the word I, because of the word I have spoken to you. Now, you know the scripture says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, right? The word purifies us. It makes us more fruitful. You say, well, gee, I'm doing the work of the Lord. I, I, I have some fruit in my life and I want more. That's a good thing. If that desire is in you, the Bible says here, Jesus saying here, the Father will come and he'll prune you to make you more fruitful, right? So how does he make you more fruitful in that process, right? He says by the word, he's saying, now look, you're in me, you're clean because of my word. Remember, he's talking about the disciples. I've been teaching you and you've received these things and you've been fruitful. You have gone out when he sent out and he, they did. Remember, they came back and they said, wow, Lord, even the devil's are subject to us in your name. So they were being fruitful, they were doing, they had a limited amount of fruit, but they didn't have all the fruit that they were called to do, right? And remember this, 2 Timothy 3.16, it says all scripture is God-breathed. The word of God is God-breathed, right? And it's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. The word of God is the pruning. It prunes us. It makes us more fruitful. It's, it should be. The word of God is not there to make you feel good all the time. I'm sorry it's not. The word of God is also there to cut. It's supposed to tell you you're off track. You're feeding from another vine. You're, you're, you're deceived. Your fruit is sick. It's not producing enough. And you need to get back into, this is how you abide in me. And these are the things that I want you to do. This is how you reproduce. All of that is in there. But it says, it says it's, it's, it's profitable for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteous, righteousness so that the man of God, you and I, right, may be complete, equipped for every good work. We got up. Everything, all the supply that is available in Jesus, we're properly using it. All the supply that is available through the, Holy, the indwelling Holy Spirit within us we understand what he's doing. We discern his voice. We know, we know when we're being deceived and when we know uh, and when we're on, on point. And that becomes, we become fruitful, complete. We're equipped for everything in every circumstance. We know how to produce good fruit. We know how. There's a training in it. It just doesn't happen by osmosis, right? It doesn't be like, you know, if I'm just near the Bible, I'll somehow get it. Or I'm just near other Christians, so I'll somehow get it. No, those help, right? Always having the Bible with you and being around Christians, yes, that's very helpful in us. And that is a part, God will use those things, but it's being active, active, actively learning, actively putting to practice, actively being a part of the body of Christ, right? It's works. We're working. We're working. We're working. The Bible says, study to show yourself approved. Okay? Verse 4, remain in me. He starts to repeat himself now here. So he, he's, this is really important. Remain in me and, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I've commented, I think, enough on that. He repeats himself here again. I am the vine. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. The 
fruit is only from Jesus, never from you. Fruit doesn't have to do with your personality and your talents and your charisma. You can, think, you can come into the body of Christ. You can come into Jesus with zero training. You can have a very low IQ. You don't have to have any talent to speak of. And if you tap into Jesus, you can produce mighty powerful fruit that will put the mature, quote unquote, in Christ to shame. It's not about your ability. It's about your connectedness to him and your willingness to be faithful to what he is supplying to you. That's what it's about. You can't do anything without me. If anyone does not remain in me, and it goes to other things, he's thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather him, throw him to the fire, and they are burned. It's the same as the talents, right? The one with one talent. He was cast out into outer darkness. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. No, wait a minute. That sounds like good faith. Ask whatever you want. I mean, that's what we envision, doesn't it? Isn't that what we say? Hey, when the disciples came to Jesus, hey, increase our faith. They were envisioning being able to ask and do whatever they wanted and it's just done. Come on, isn't that what we think? Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? That is good faith. That is strong faith. But through faithfulness to the master and his plans. That is the proof. But the journey that you go to get there is not the journey that we think we're going to take when we increase our faith. The journey of great faith comes through great submission. The journey to great faith and great doing great exploits in God and seeing these glorious things and magnificent things happening in your life that other people look at you in awe and they're like, oh, I wish I had your faith. It came through death and sacrifice. Dying to yourself. Dying to your flesh. So laying aside all of your selfish ambitions and dreams and goals and picking up your masters. Always, every day, like Paul says, crucifying self. Crucifying. I, I, I crucify myself daily, Paul says. Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. It comes through this path of sacrificing of yourself. And as there's, a, there's a price to be paid in that. Why? Because I want to please the master, even if he doesn't bless me, even if he doesn't thank me, because he's the master and I love him. I committed my life. He has done so much for me to include me in his house. And I'm going to serve him faithfully. I'm always going to put his needs first. I'm always going to put his desires first. I'm always going to put his wants first. If I come to him and he says something to me that I don't really like, I'm going to submit to it because I know there's truth in it. And I know there's love and I need to change, not try to change him. It's approaching the master from that perspective. And in that, the faithful servant receives more. And all of his prayers will be answered. Every one. That's what he says right here. That's what he says. Ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. If you remain in me and my words remain in you. 
They're always there. They're in your core. You don't just pull them out whenever they're convenient. It's what you live by. You live by his word. But then he finishes this. He says this. And don't miss it. Verse 8. My father is glorified. My father is glorified by this. That you produce much fruit. My father is glorified. The father. God the Father receives glory when you are fruitful. How many want to glorify the Father? I'm sorry, folks, that's not, done in, that's not done by lifting your hands once a week for, an, for the worship time. It's not even done during your morning devotions. Do we lift our hands when we worship? Sure, we should. We're commanded to, in fact, in Scripture. If, you're not, if, you, if you resist lifting your hands, you're actually breaking Scripture. If, you don't, if you're not willing to clap and lift your hands, you're actually violating Scripture. I'm not going to go into what those Scriptures are, but you're actually violating Scripture. We're commanded to worship Him. We're commanded to come together. We're commanded to do all of these things. Will these things alone make you do they really bring glory to the Father? Hmm. What brings glory to the Father is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness to what He is calling you to do. You, your fruitfulness. The Father took the most precious thing He had. His son. And he sent his son into a world that knew none of them cared very little for him and sinning wildly against him. And he sent his most precious into the world to redeem an unloving, uncaring, ungrateful people so that through him, they could be restored, re brought back into, reconciled into his house and his presence. It was a high price to pay. The reward for that, how much reward will he get for that? How much reward will the father get for the penalty that he paid, that he placed on his son? How much reward will he get for that? His reward is paid by more sons and daughters. The amount of sons and daughters that come in to his house is his reward. How big is it? How big it is, is dependent on your fruitfulness. And mine. It's dependent on our faithfulness to do what He requires for us to do, 
to reproduce and make disciples, to bring more sons and daughters into the faith. That's glory to him. That glorifies him. Can we give him the most glory and the greatest possible reward for his sacrifice? Is that not the heart of a faithful servant? Does that not get to the core? of what it means to be good and faithful. We have his interests in mind. We have his glory in mind, not our own. I fear we, the church, are too wicked and lazy. My father is glorified by this that you produce much fruit and you prove, prove, prove to be my disciple. Fruitfulness is proof. That's what he's calling us to. You want faith? Check your heart. Check what you're living for. Check your motivation. That's at the heart of increasing our faith. It's increasing his glory. It's the key. It's the key. He'll answer your prayers. He will. Gleefully, gladly. And you have his interests in mind. As the father prayed for him, prayed to Jesus for the healing of his son, Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. And that's where we are, aren't we? We have faith, but help us in our faithlessness. Father, I pray that you would increase our faith. Our request to you, Lord, is the same as what the disciples requested of you, to increase our faith. But Lord, take us through. Take us through the journey to know what it means to be a good and faithful servant. To desire the glory of our Father to be expanded and the reward of the sacrifice of Christ to grow and so that and, and when it's all done at the end of the day we say Lord we are just unworthy servants desiring to see you glorified Lord do a deep work within us There's a reason why you said the, the, the gate is narrow. And few find it. The path is hard. 
and few find it. But broad is the way that leads to destruction. Lord, this life that you have called us to is not easy because it, it requires us to walk away from everything that is self. That is selfish. Everything in this world is designed for us to worship ourselves and our own identity and our own personality and who we are, our individualism. And you say, I want you to come away from all of that because I have made you to be more. I have made you to be kings and priests in my kingdom. And my kings and priests have more value than this selfish, worthless dirty righteousness that you find in yourself. Help us, Lord, to reproduce. Lord, help us to have new sons and daughters, to multiply. Just thinking of this child that we hear in the background, even making this, uh, the cooing and the, the noise. Lord, that is what you have called us to do. You have called us to make more disciples, sons and daughters in your kingdom. And we're to disciple them and help them to grow, to feed them, to help them to grow up, that they become strong, mature adults in the Lord who then too turn and produce others. And the cycle goes on and on and on. And you, dear Jesus, our Messiah, the lamb that was slain, receives more reward for your sacrifice. Lord, would you... Give us a revelation, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord.